Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Friday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. We left off last time on Wednesday with Paul leaving the Areopagus and leaving Athens and heading west to Corinth. Today, it's about a one-hour drive. And there, Paul spends a considerable amount of time. The first missionary journey spans A.D. 50 to 52, roughly 24 months. Paul spends 18 of those months at Corinth. He had a very rocky relationship with the church at Corinth. Of all the churches that St. Paul founded, the Corinthian church posed the greatest challenges, both during its foundation and as it developed during Paul's lifetime. In A.D. 50, the city of Corinth was not only an exceedingly prosperous double seaport town, but it was the political and economic capital of Achaia, eclipsing Athens, which had been in serious decline since its defeat by the Roman general Sulla in 88 B.C. Because of its vibrant maritime trade, Corinth hosted a large transient population from the many cultures that surrounded the Mediterranean. And, as one would expect, those cultures exerted significant social, religious, political, and economic influences on the resident population. In Corinth, temples to Aphrodite, Apollo, Poseidon, Hermes, Asclepius, and Isis coexisted with the Jewish synagogue and what would become the embryonic Christian house churches. In addition, Corinth catered to hundreds, if not thousands, of sailors, merchants, traveling salesmen, and a whole host of con men, all of whom spent their money freely while in town, and, as we might expect, immorality flourished. Corinth also hosted the biennial Isthmian Games, one of the Panhellenic Games of ancient Greece. The Isthmian Games were held the year before and the year after the Olympic Games, while the Pythian Games were held during the third year of the Olympiad cycle. Since its origin in the 5th century BC, the Isthmian Games, dedicated to the god Poseidon, were wildly popular, and they drew tens of thousands of tourists to Corinth every other year, rivaling the Olympic Games themselves. So to understand the Corinthian church and the challenges it faced, we need to understand Corinth itself. And we'll step into Corinth here today in Acts chapter 18 and see what goes on with Paul. Later, beginning in the winter of 54, when Paul is in Ephesus, he will write an epistle to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians. They will correspond back He will write a second epistle, 2 Corinthians, and the correspondence will go back and forth at least five times. We'll look at that Corinthian correspondence in detail in a later quarter of St. Paul the Apostle. We'll study those epistles in depth. But now we enter Corinth for the very first time. After this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. Acts 18, verse 1. 
And there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius, the emperor Claudius, had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. You know, the Jews experienced that how many times in history? Being kicked out of where they are and having to sit it out somewhere else. Suetonius, the historian, writes of the expulsion by Claudius, and he says it was because of tumults instigated by Christus, a reference to Christ. The riots in Rome were obviously linked somehow to Christ. So Claudius expels the Jews because the Christians were just a sect of Judaism after all. The Jews are expelled. Aquila and Priscilla make their way to Corinth. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and he worked with them. That was Paul's entree into Corinth and the people of Corinth. Every Jewish boy, every Jew in the world, at Paul's time and in our time, knows that you might have a beautiful home in Beverly Hills, a flat in London, a flat in New York, but overnight that can all be gone. Witness the Jews in Berlin in 1939. So every Jewish boy learned a trade. Paul was from a wealthy family, very well-to-do family, remarkably well-educated, and yet he learned a trade something you can always fall back on. And his trade was being a tent maker. He didn't work at it. He was really a professional scholar, uh, an adult student of the great Gamaliel in Jerusalem. But he had that trade. And here in Corinth, as he walked through the Agora, the marketplace, he saw a tent making shop. And he walked over to it and met the people there, Aquila and his wife Priscilla. And he said, uh, well, you have a fine looking shop here. Where are you folks from? Oh, we came from Rome. Claudius kicked the Jews out. Uh, again, we're out on the road. So we set up shop here, tent maker, a worker in leather and canvas, someone perfect for a double seaport town that needed sails and awnings and so on for the various ships. So here we are sitting out the expulsion. You know, because in the end, Claudius will die, as they all do. <laughs> the reign of a Roman emperor was relatively short after the first emperor, Augustus. One assassination after another. Things will change, the wind will blow the other direction, and we'll go back home. And Paul said, you know, that's a, that's a really nice-looking machine over there. He said, isn't that a uh, so-and-so 218? Yes, it is. How did you know that? I, I do a little tent making myself. Really, we have a big backlog of work. Would you like to work with us? And Paul said, sure, I'd love to. That was how Paul would meet people in Corinth, working at the tent making shop. So he worked with them, and every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogues, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Paul's method, go to the synagogue, get kicked out of the synagogue, get beaten up, thrown in jail, run out of town. Well, he's back to his 
simple way of evangelizing. Start in the synagogue. Now, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was indeed the Christ. So Silas and Timothy finish up work in Berea, and they make their way to Athens, and then from Athens on to Corinth, following Paul. When they arrive in Corinth, Paul said to Aquila and Priscilla, you know, uh, he introduced Silas and Timothy to them and said, I, I really need to, uh, to get to work here on evangelizing. You've become believers, Aquila and Priscilla, and you know how important this is. So Paul began exclusively preaching and testifying, evangelizing to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul, as they inevitably would, start in the synagogue, get thrown out of the synagogue. They became abusive. He shook out his clothes in protest. He said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm clear of my responsibility. From now on, I go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue, left Corinth and never came back. No, look what he does. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. So he goes right next door and he opens the windows and he preaches loudly so they can hear him in the synagogue. Well, Crispus, the synagogue ruler and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, the archisynagogus, the chairman of the board of the synagogue, and his whole household became believers. But one night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. And this is very, a very telling insight. The Lord spoke to Paul and he said, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. I am with you. No one is going to attack and harm you. I have many people in this city. Now, Paul had never had to be reassured before. Paul was stoned in Lystra. He became seriously ill on that second missionary journey in the early portions. Paul got beaten up, thrown in jail, and run out of town in Philippi. A mob chased him out of Thessalonica. In Berea, they had to get him out of town in the middle of the night. So he had opposition. But never, not once, did we hear of Paul being afraid and going to just stop talking. Just stop. But here in Corinth, the opposition is severe. And the Lord spoke to him and said, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, don't be silent, I am with you. That tells you something of the nature and the degree of opposition in Corinth. So Paul made a promise. He stayed for a year and a half, 18 months, teaching them the word of God. Now, when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul 
and brought him into court. This man, they charged, is persuading people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Now, just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to the Jews, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge in such things. So get that. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and took him to court. How are we going to shut this guy up? They have a meeting at the synagogue. We tried one thing after another. Nothing worked. The man keeps talking. He, we'll sue him. We'll take him to court. That'll shut him up. So that's exactly what they do. They take him to court. But when the lawyer for the synagogue stands up and presents his case, Gallio, the proconsul, the judge, said, stop, stop right now. In the Roman Empire, you have complete freedom of religion. You can worship any god you want, but you cannot incite civil unrest. The complaint that you are making has to do with questions about your own law, about words and names. This is an internal religious matter. I will not be a judge in such things. Settle the matter for yourselves. So he had them thrown out of court. Well, they all turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, the new synagogue leader. Remember, Crispus, the former Archisynagogus, became a believer and his whole household. So now the new Archisynagogus, Sosthenes, He's the one who said, we sue him, we take him to court, we shut him down. That was his idea. But now, Gallio totally humiliates the Jewish delegation by refusing to hear the case and throwing it out. He ejected them from the court. Bailiff put them out. So they all turned on Sosthenes the new Archisynagogus, and they beat him in front of the court. Now, I think that's really pretty funny. They knock him down, they kick him, they punch him, they bloody his nose. <laughs> How, what a stupid idea to bring, bring this to court, have us humiliated in front of everyone. They beat him up. Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. He said, ah, crazy Jews, throw them, just ignore them. But what did Paul do? Well, Paul was in court. He was the one being sued. I'll bet he was all ready to stand up and defend himself and present the gospel right there in the court. But the whole thing's over. Paul walks out of the court, and here's Sosthenes, the archisynagogus, the one who sued him and took him to court, lying in the dirt, all bruised and bloody. And what did Paul do? He went over and he kicked him. No, he didn't. He went over and he said, look at you. Look how they beat you. Here, I can straighten your nose. 
And he straightened the nose. Oh, ow, that hurt, he said. Come on, I'll help you out. Come on, let's go. Paul helped Sosthenes up, and off they go. Now we read in verse 18 of chapter 18, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he and the brothers sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Now we met them at the beginning of chapter 18, Aquila, the husband, and Priscilla, the wife. Now, as Paul's about to leave Corinth, it's Priscilla and Aquila. Who's the lead in that couple? Priscilla, of course. Now, before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Sancria because of a vow that he had taken. So Paul stopped at Sancria on the eastern side of the Isthmus, and he has his hair cut because of a vow that he had taken. Well, what kind of vow would that have been? If we turn over to Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 6, we read, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, If a man or woman wants to make a special vow, a vow of separation to the Lord as a Nazarite, he must abstain from wine and other fermented drink. He must not drink vinegar made from wine or from other fermented drink. He must not drink grape juice or eat grapes or raisins. As long as he is a Nazarite, he must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skins. Now, during the entire period of his vow of separation, no razor may be used on his head. He must be holy until the period of separation to the Lord is over. He must let his, the hair of his head grow long, and throughout the period of separation to the Lord, he must not go near a dead body. Even if his own father or mother or brother dies, he must not make himself ceremonially unclean on account of them, because the symbol of his separation to God is on his head. Throughout the period of his separation, he is consecrated to the Lord. So the Nazarite vow in Numbers chapter 6 is a vow of separation to the Lord. Well, Paul was afraid in Corinth. He was just inches away from leaving. But the Lord appeared to him in a vision, in a dream, and he said, don't stop speaking. Keep working. I'm here. I'll protect you. And Paul made a promise to the Lord. I'll do it. Paul took a Nazarite vow of separation to the Lord during that long period, over a year. He never drank wine. He never cut his hair or beard. It was a vow of separation to the Lord. After the vow is over, when Paul leaves from Sancria, before getting on board ship, he had his hair cut. That is, he ended the Nazarite vow. When that vow is ended, we read over in Numbers chapter 6, 
Verse 13, now this is the law for the Nazarite when the period of the separation is over. He is to be brought to the entrance of the tent of meeting, the tabernacle in the wilderness, later the temple in Jerusalem. And there he is to present his offerings to the Lord, a year-old male lamb without defect for a burnt offering, a year-old ewe lamb without defect for a sin offering, a ram without defect for a fellowship offering, together with their grain offerings and drink offerings, and a basket of bread made without yeast, cakes made of fine flour mixed with oil, and wafers spread with oil. The priest is to present them before the Lord and make the sin offering and the burnt offering. He's to present the basket of unleavened bread and is to sacrifice the lamb as a fellowship offering, together with his grain offering and drink offering. Then, at the entrance to the tent of meeting, the Nazarite must shave off the hair that he dedicated. That is, the hair that grew during the period of the vow is cut, and he is to take the hair and put it in the fire that is under the sacrifice of the fellowship offering. But after the Nazarite has shaved off the hair of his dedication, the priest is to place his hands on the boiled shoulder of the lamb, and so on. So ending the Nazarite vow requires cutting off the hair that grew during the period of the vow. That was a symbol of the time a person spent with God and to offer the proper sacrifices. Burnt offering, grain offering, sin offering, peace offering, guilt offering. So you make the offerings. But the offerings can only be made at the temple in Jerusalem. Paul will not be able to make those offerings until later in our story. When Paul gets to Jerusalem, he'll go to the temple and he'll arrange to make those offerings at the temple. But here, before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Sancria because of the vow he had taken. So Paul had taken that Nazarite vow right after the Lord said, don't be afraid, keep on speaking, don't be silent, I am with you. St. Paul gave a hearty aye, aye, sir, took the Nazarite vow, and pressed on. Now the vow is over when he has his hair cut off at Sancria. On one of our teaching tours in the footsteps of Paul, we were visiting Sancria, and my wife Anna cut my hair at Sancria, standing in the water in the, what was the harbor, now is a nice beach, and I stood there and had my hair cut just like Paul. That was a lot of fun. Oh, but one more thing. The archisynagogus, the synagogue leader that took Paul to court, that got beaten up, and the Paul, I said, helped him up, dusted him off, straightened off his nose. Whatever happened to Sosthenes? If we turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Paul's first epistle to the church in Corinth in the winter of 54, two years later. St. Paul begins, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes. Well, I'll be darned. Sosthenes, the archisynagogus who took Paul to court, ends up becoming a believer. And when Paul writes from Ephesus to Corinth, he said, from Paul and our brother Sosthenes, who's with Paul in Ephesus. Don't you just love that? Oh, this 
is great. Hey gang, good being with you on this Friday and following Paul on his adventures of the second missionary journey. Keep me in your prayers if you would. Tomorrow on Saturday morning, 10 o'clock, I'll be holding office hours again on Zoom. If you register for the St. Paul the Apostle course, uh, you'll have access to all of the lectures and the Zoom meetings every Saturday morning. Okay, bye-bye now.